What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. We have no advertisers on this podcast, so it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Dylan LeClaire is the head of market research at Bitcoin Magazine, and he's the co-founder of 21st Paradigm. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, the macro economy, Nostra, Ordinals, Lightning Network, Bitcoin mining, and a whole bunch of other topics that you'll be interested in. On-chain metrics, the king, Dylan LeClaire, in studio, live. That's what this episode is all about. After you get done listening, jump on Twitter. Let Dylan and I know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you agree with, and what you disagree with. We always appreciate the feedback and helps us make better episodes. Here is my conversation with Mr. Dylan LeClaire. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Dylan here with me. Uh, you've been on a tear, my friend. I, although I can't see your tweets all the time because I think they're uh, suppressing you somehow. Uh, you've been firing for like six months straight. I don't know what happened. Contagion, macro issues, uh, nonsense in the Bitcoin markets, but nonsense in the crypto markets. When you look back over the last six months or so, we'll go back pre-FTX and, and kind of the second wave, if you will, of all the failures in the industry. Yeah. How do you think about what's transpired what, like how do you describe what's happened yeah it was uh i mean it was the biggest absolute contagion event in in the big the history of bitcoin crypto broadly um it was like bitcoin's first kind of native financial crisis uh with no lender of last resort so that was like certainly an interesting uh phenomenon to observe uh, as a participant and just kind of a an outside observer of a lot of these different exchanges and uh, you know, the broad ecosystem. Uh, there was kind of a convergence between Bitcoin and macro for all of 2022. And then there was the, you know, kind of a, a decoupling, but unlike what people suspected, it was a decoupling to the downside. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we flushed we flushed everything out for the most part. Um, certainly could like, you know, the exchange rate of Bitcoin go lower. Like, I still think we actually get a, a recession. And it's probably what surprised me is that, uh, I, I thought it was going to happen sooner. I thought we, you know, we had this big global bust in asset prices, uh, fastest tightening cycle in history. Um, the base case was that we were going to get a recession, and it still is. But I um, maybe naively thought it would happen a little bit sooner. Um, and I think, are we in a recession? Uh, I think, according to the, the the numbers, you know, official government numbers, I don't think we are. Um, the economy actually is still pretty hot in nominal terms. You have kind of like a two tiered economy. It's like you have the interest rate financialized economy. So you know, Wall Street, VC, you know, tech, like we're in kind of like a white collar recession of sorts. Um, and then there's like kind of like the blue collar uh, service sector, which is still like pretty piping hot, right? I mean, you know, Miami's bussing, uh, bustling, <laughs> bussing. Uh, <laughs> I'll, um, I'll throw data at you, ready? Yeah. So the inflation rate in Miami is 10%. Yeah, wow. Right, crazy. Uh, Miami now has the wealthiest neighborhoods, like two of the top five neighborhoods in the entire country, uh, because home prices have exploded higher. Yep. Uh, on top of that, uh, I was reading an article today on Bloomberg where they basically were like, it is Jerome Powell and the Fed 
versus the service industry. That is going to determine yeah. uh, the inflation battle. And at the same time that they're raising interest rates and they're you know destroying investment demand and kind of this white collar stuff, right? Uh, the service industry is increasing pay, yep. they're increasing prices, and they basically are saying to themselves, if we don't increase our labor costs and also increase our product costs, we're not gonna survive. Yeah. And so he's got to do a lot more to go after that industry, but the people caught in the crosshairs are the white collar kind of investment class. And I mean, some of these stocks are down 60, 70%, let alone, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's nasty out there. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like this business cycle is, is a lot different than, you know, um, maybe the historical analogies of the past. Like some people are like, oh, it's like, oh, wait. Some people are like, oh, it's like kind of similar to the tech bubble, right? Where you had all these crazy valuations and then they, they bust. Um, and if, I guess if you just think back to the tech bubble, right? Like everybody thinks about the NASDAQ going down 80%. What people don't really think about is two and a half years later in 2002, the S&P 500 was 50% from its highs, right? So like these things do take time. Um, I think that two-tiered economy thing is, is very, very true. Um, and you know, I guess like if you going back to say like 2021, if you said, you know, the Fed's going to get rates to five and some change percentage, uh, and things are going to be able to, you know, sustain for a while, I would have been surprised. That would have caught mm -hmm. me off guard. Um, and since then, I mean, obviously, I've kind of realigned the expectations. Uh, but I still think that the end game, as in kind of this broad thesis, this big debt, uh, debt, long term debt cycle thesis, is is 100 uh, percent accurate, still in play. Like there's just mathematically not. There's not a way we can serve it. Not like not just the U.S. government, not just the Treasury, but like globally, debt burdens are still so high, and the only the only really way out is to kind of let this inflation run hot for a sustained period of time. So it's interesting, right? They laid out the playbook. They're like, all right, we need to devalue this debt. We're going to let inflation run hot. If you look at what they said in 2020, they're like, we need inflation hot. Inflation came hot, right? Got hotter and hotter. Um, and I don't think what what they missed, or not maybe what they missed, but what they didn't perceive was the social and political pressure that would come uh, mm -hmm. as a result of that. Not just the U.S., but globally, right? Just like first inflation crisis in 40, 50 years, right? So there was a lot of political pushback. And so, you know, they, instead of, they were still doing QE and, and zero interest rate policy a year ago, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't feel like that, but I mean, they were literally pumping $100 billion a month into the, into the financial sector 12 months ago. So uh, we're still pretty early in this cycle, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but I, I still think we're we're due for some form of broad economic downturn. Um, How do you think Bitcoin would perform as we get deeper into kind of a recessionary period? Right, there's a lot of people who said, "Hey, Bitcoin's never lived through a recession before." If you look over the last 18 months or so, obviously we've raised interest rates um, and had that tightening cycle. Bitcoin went down along yeah. with all other financial assets, but many people would argue like actually it's holding in there okay now right for the last you know call it six months or whatever it's been uh it's pretty much flat yep and is your expectation that we've kind of bottomed in this whole down cycle could a recession push us lower like how do you think bitcoin performs yeah i mean i like to view everything like probabilistically um you know a lot of the data we look at um, like the, the on-chain bitcoin native kind of stuff like we saw capitulation there's just no doubt about that where like you can go through like you know, all these statistics, average cost basis, whatever, you know, the average Bitcoin holder was underwater, um, you know, in the fall of 2022. That happens cyclically every single Bitcoin bear market in the same way that, you know, the say the average cost basis, the Bitcoin exchange rates usually like three, four X, the average cost basis at the top of these kind of local bubbles it crashes. Everyone on average uh, is underwater. That happened again. Right. So we saw a massive capitulation like we can see it in the data. Um, there was some form of seller exhaustion, right? Like, I mean, every lender, exchange, hedge fund, 
market maker in the space, you know, the, the titans of the industry in 2020 2021, basically all blew up, right? Um, you know, GBTC holding 600,000 Bitcoin trading at a 50% discount to net asset value. Like, like that, you know, if that that's, bad? if that, yeah, is that bad? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if that's not capitulation, then I don't really know what is. Um, but I think people kind of mistake that, okay, we saw capitulation. We saw, you know, as, as worse as it, you know, probably gets versus, okay, you know, now we're in for just like a sustained period of some chop consolidation. Like, I think people are like, okay, the worst is over time for up only. Um, and I think Bitcoin as a macro asset, um, it, I mean, it has matured over the last three, four years, despite, you know, the volatility to the upside and the downside. I think it is it is more of a macro asset than it was in 2018, 2019. Um, so, you know, what are equities doing today? Uh, well, that's probably what Bitcoin's doing with maybe a little bit more volatility. And so I think we got some time. Like, I, I, I you know, I would be very surprised to see Bitcoin. I happily, I, I would be, you know, happily surprised if Bitcoin made new all-time highs in 23. Um, but I have plenty of time. We have time, right? Like, I, the, the broad thesis of Bitcoin as an engineering solution a superior engineering implementation uh, for money is is completely unchanged, mm-hmm. right? I think it's just the timeline um, and the narratives uh, got people a little bit caught off sides, right? Like Bitcoin is inflation hedge, and it's like, well, CPI inflation comes in, we see the first kind of bond stock market correlation to the downside in 50 years, and and not just like Bitcoin crypto investors, but like legacy investors, right? Who are like, okay, we're you know stocks are falling, we're gonna long bonds, and they got absolutely pillaged, right? So like. Bitcoin on a risk-adjusted basis actually didn't even do that bad in 22, right? Like mm-hmm. bonds traded worse, a lot of equities traded worse, um, and risk-adjusted in 23, Bitcoin's like one of the best performers. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the, the game is unchanged. It's just it's a it's a game of accumulation and patience. Yeah. Um, when you think about the decoupling that's occurred at the start of 2023, explain what's happening there and like how you think about that. Uh, well, I mean, I don't really think there has like I mean maybe like locally like a day or two, right? Um, you know, decent short squeeze in Bitcoin, but like we saw kind of a rip in, in a lot of these kind of um, beaten up mm-hmm. names, right? Whether it's like the Teslas of the world or tech uh, or equities broadly, um, we kind of just saw in like a general risk on rally. Um, there was why kind do you think that's happening? That is like I'm trying to front run the Fed pivot or something else? Yeah, I think there was a belief um, that I think is reversing uh, that, okay, we're going to see that I think the consensus in, in, in Q4 of 22 was, okay, um, we, we got this tightening cycle. Things are really slowing down. Um, the inflation is actually, you know, uh, transitory. Uh, we're going to return to this kind of this meme two percent uh, year over year line, uh, and the Fed's going to cut in in twenty three. You saw like you know Fed futures, um, the bond market really kind of expect that. Okay, we're going to go from four or five percent rates down to three. We're going to ease. Stocks kind of front ran that. Um, bonds were pricing in a recession, and equities were pricing in like this Goldilocks scenario of no earnings recession and you know future cuts. Uh, and now all of those cuts that were expected in 23, you know, three, four rate cuts, um, that's all kind of been uh, priced back out. So no cuts in 23, um, economy is still really nominally hot. Uh, and I think now 2024 is, is when broadly the consensus is starting to price in that, that real slowdown. So earnings recession, um, you know, the Fed's like openly stating we want slack in the labor market. You know, that is a translation for we want some of you guys to get fired from, from your jobs. Like, this is what they want to do. They want to destroy demand. And so, um, you know, what's interesting is the dichotomy we kind of talked about like five minutes ago between the white collar kind of, uh, you know, Wall Street, VC, tech, uh, you know, interest rate sensitive parts of the economy versus like the service industry, anybody that's receiving social benefits from the, from the government, right? Like 
anyone that's that's getting social security just got an eight nine percent pay raise, right? So in real terms, like they didn't really get a pay raise, but in nominal terms, they they, they feel pretty good. They feel you know they they got money to spend. Um, there's still like one one point five trillion dollars of like excess savings from all the COVID stimulus that hasn't been run through. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like you know the consumer, despite you know the savings rate being low, the consumer still has a good amount of cash to chuck around. Mm-hmm. Um, so the economy is is you know if you asked me six months ago. 2023, we're, we're going to see no recession. I would have been very, very surprised. Um, but I think the data is showing that you know the U.S. at least is in a pretty decent spot, and so that gives the Fed some uh, some room. So I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't even be surprised to see six percent rates on the Fed funds. Um, but if you told me that in 2020, I would have said no way. You know, yeah. so so I mean, that's that's certainly something that's evolved. What is interesting is uh, things like um, service worker pay continues to be very strong and increasing. Uh, a lot of these like local small businesses increasing prices. Um, we see kind of this white collar recession that you're describing. Uh, but when we look at the American consumer, uh, you have a savings rate that has been absolutely destroyed. I think it's at a historic low, credit card debt exploding upwards, interest rate on that credit card debt exploding upwards. Um, and it's like all the signs that like the consumer's in trouble. And at the same time that we're like on the precipice of a recession and the consumer is struggling, the Fed is basically like kind of walking over to the cliff and they're like, I'm going to kick these people off. Right. And like, let's see what happens. Um, Do you think that they have to just focus on inflation and like whatever pain comes to the consumer, uh, we just got to deal with it? Or like, can there be that soft landing that they keep kind of pointing to saying like, you know, We'll, we'll put the ship right into the Hudson, uh, like uh, a pilot Sully over there, and, and like we'll be good. We'll all walk out of this thing. Yeah, I think uh, you know there was there was increasing belief uh, in late Q4, early Q1, you know, January timeframe where where it was like, okay, we're gonna go from everyone kind of thought there was a hard landing coming to soft landing to no landing, right? Like, oh, this all of a sudden you know, they might they might actually do this. Um, and I think with with kind of you see like China opening up, they're you know shoving money out again. They're printing, um, you know the consumer's still pretty strong. Like you're talking about the service industry, that's still piping hot. Um, inflation, which is you know part of their dual mandate, we could debate. You know I think that's a different story about like whether that mandate is even uh, not worthy. But you know they're they're kind of their dual mandate of maximum unemployment and and two percent inflation. Uh, or you know what? What's the official wording of that? Price stability. Price stability right? yeah. It's not. I mean, price increasing uh, isn't stability, but that's another story. Um, I mean, we can have that debate about whether that's even the right goal to have. Um, and some Do you people, think it is. Um, I think it's a. It's you know part of this Keynesian economic paradigm, which is you know everybody's kind of um, been raised in and, and brought up in. Um, and so like the Bitcoin perspective, the Austrian perspective, kind of looks outside of that box, um, almost like you know. From like a uh, a fourth dimension, it's like we're looking in on this in this system, this incumbent system. Like, you know, this is this is the matrix. Um, but this is the world we're in, right? I'm not naive, and, like I'm not naive enough to 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 not understand the game that's being played, right? So the Fed's, you know, the Fed, despite you know the labor uh, force participation dropping after COVID, right? This official data says unemployment's at 50-year lows, right? So uh, 3.4%. 3.4%. the numbers? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the so, small business down the street can't find anyone to work. Yeah. Um, and so it's certainly a really interesting business cycle. Um, and I think they're going to, uh, they're going to really, and who knows, maybe they don't follow through. Maybe, uh, you know, Powell kind of, uh, as uh, Arthur Burns re- reincarnated, um, you know, the, the Fed chair that in the face of inflation kind of backed off and, and let it rip, right? Um, that would certainly be uh, very, very interesting. But I think, um, and this is political, right? 
Uh, I think they were embarrassed by the transitory call in 21. Um, you know, inflation's transitory. Don't worry, guys. They were dead wrong, and um, because of that, their credibility uh, was was kind of shot a little bit. So they're going to, I think, they're going to try to rein, reinforce that their dominance, I guess, uh, on the market. And I think they they purposefully want to inflict pain. So you know, financial assets. Um, I you know, some people are pretty bullish for 23. I I think stocks and bonds continue to be correlated. I think they struggle. Um, I think Bitcoin could have periods of decoupling or, or relative strength, but I. I don't suspect a raging bull market, um, at least for the time being. Um, you know. So Bitcoin, if we look at the on-chain metrics, I think it's seventy-three percent or so of all Bitcoin in circulation hasn't moved uh, in uh, over a year or, or somewhere around there, whatever the date is uh, or date is today. Um, that would say that we have a highly illiquid market. Yep. Uh, but in order to get that raging bull market, you need some sort of catalyst. When you look out over the next couple of years, uh, some people may point to the having, others may point to other things. W- what do you think could be a catalyst to kind of set off the next, you know, true bull market and kind of not just sideways or, or the stoppage of going down, but actually to go back up? Hey guys, what's going on? I hope that you're enjoying this conversation. I wanted to interrupt for a second to tell you about an event that we're hosting on March 4th at the Miami Beach Convention Center. It's called Lyceum Miami, and I've gone and asked some of the most popular guests from this show over the years to come in person at the event. It's going to be awesome. We have everyone from Kathy Wood to Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Williamson, Cody Sanchez, and many, many others. I also even have a couple of surprises for each one of you if you show up. The best part about this event is it is completely free to attend. That's right, all general admission tickets are free. You simply need to go to LyceumMiami.com. LyceumMiami.com will get you free tickets on March 4th at the Miami Beach Convention Center. And if you're a big baller and don't just want to get a free ticket, you can also get a VIP or an insider pass. If you use the code POMP40, you'll get 40% off. They get you all kinds of cool things, like the night before, a cocktail with the actual speakers and a couple other perks. Go check it all out at LyceumMiami.com and use code POMP40 if you want to be a baller. I can't wait to see all of you there. Go ahead and click on the link in the description and let's get back into this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting because like, you know, we were we were talking um, throughout 2021, 2022. One of the things that, that surprised me um, during the second leg of the kind of the double bubble in, in 2021 you know, Bitcoin hit an all-time high of sixty-four thousand, crashed to thirty thousand after the China thing, um, and you know, like Elon kind the of double s- bubble. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then we, you know, in in hindsight, obviously FTX had something to do with it. You know, there was a, a you know some other shenanigans. The altcoin ecosystem kind of helped inflate, reinflate that. Um, but it was really interesting because I'm looking at all this data, right? And and you know, um, Bitcoin. There was there was days where Bitcoin's up ten percent, stocks down, bonds down. You know, VIX volatility up in legacy markets, and it's like. You know what is going on and at the same time we're looking at this data and it's like holy crap you know like 60 70 80 percent of the supply isn't moving right like whoever's in this market bidding this is having to fight for like a super small uh, part of this pie and so that the the decoupling or like the at least the the theory of a, of, of a decoupling looked very very real and I think in hindsight what uh, I got lo- I got wrong at least a little bit locally um, as, as we drew down was, that supply can remain super, super constrained. Um, that supply inelasticity cuts not only up, but it cuts down. It cuts both ways, mm-hmm. right? So 80% of the supply doesn't care. They're price agnostic buyers. They're holders. They don't. They don't give a crap about the exchange rate. Um, but that you know 20% or like even you know the two million coins on exchanges that trades every day, 
right? Whether it's market makers or hedge funds or you know speculators, uh, wash because, trading. Yeah, because of 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 that inelasticity, not only does it you know in a raging bull market is it a clear beneficiary, but in a bear market, right, that supply and elasticity also leads to downside volatility, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think that that supply being super super tightly held and very very liquid. Um, is is fantastic for for a bull market when there's marginal inflows, mm-hmm. um, but if there's you know any marginal outflows or you know people are just trading this like it's a derivative of the S P five hundred, right? That supply and elasticity on a day to day basis doesn't really that it doesn't matter, right? And and on the margin, if you have people that are continuing to acquire it and buy it and hold it and not sell it, um, that's going to make a difference. Um, but I, I think you know the the next like it's really you need that you need that. That kick, you need that mm-hmm. that spark. What do you right? think it could be? Um, I, I think, I mean, the obvious one is like, you know, monetary easing. Like, you know, we have a recession and there's some form of fiscal and uh, monetary response. Um, but I think, you know, eventually it could just be like, at least the last couple of months, it's been somewhat of like a seller exhaustion short squeeze, right? It's just like supply set at the margin for any asset. This is an absolutely scarce one. It's tightly held. There's just not enough coins to go around. Um, I mean, to, to to kick it back to a trillion dollar asset class is going to take, you know, a little bit more inflows than we got have currently. Uh, but I think, you know, and uh, we see the SEC coming down a little bit. I think an inc- like as much as I'm a, I kind of have uh, the the ANCAP side of me that the libertarian free market maximalist side of me. Uh, I understand the world we live in. I understand that you know the regulatory environment is going to keep some institutions um, you know, that are bootstrapped by this stuff uh, on the sidelines, at least, at least locally. Um, and I think what, you know, this stuff gets cleared up a little bit. I, I, you know, who knows what they do with the stable coins, all of this. Uh, but I think you know, we got a little bit um, till some of that's figured out and some of the big boys, um, you know, the public companies, the big institutions. Um, like Bitcoin's very, very illiquid, like we said. And that's, that's a good thing. But like, if you were an institution, say an insurance company, right, and you out 50 basis points, you want 1% of your portfolio in Bitcoin because you're looking at it and you're saying, hey, in a bear market, it, it does well risk adjusted. In a bull market, it does well risk adjusted. Let's get a, a sliver of this thing. And you have a, you know, a $500 billion portfolio as an insurance fund. And it's, it's long duration, right? You have, you have payouts for the next 40 years. Um, I mean, try deploying a billion dollars into the Bitcoin market. Like, <laughs> you're gonna send the price up, right? And, and likewise, if you had a billion dollars to sell, um, the illiquidity is going to cut the other way, and so like you can see, like it's kind of fun. You can see whenever Sailor over the past year is like on the tape, it's like oh, there's a Coinbase buyer, and it's just like you see in the data, like there's someone just mm-hmm. chipping away, buying every second. Like so, I think you know it's still very, very, despite being 13, 14 years old. Um, the good news, or maybe bad, depending on how you perceive it, but the good news is it's still very immature, mm-hmm. it's still very early, and it's still very nascent. Um, that it is a globally liquid asset, but it's not it's not nearly as liquid as a lot of the legacy assets. So, you know, the good news is it's early. Um, the, the the bad news is like, you know, the the big boys uh, can't really come in because of you know regulatory because of public perception. You know, people say oh Bitcoin, but like they perceive it as like crypto FTX fraud. You know, I can't touch that thing. Um, so you know, I think obviously education is important. These are long term things, mm-hmm. um, and if that's you know that's the the battle we're facing. When you think of regulation, is their uh, potential oversight of stable coins the most surprising piece of what's transpired over the last couple of months? Like obviously, there's things around uh, Three Arrows Capital, around Terra Luna, around FTX, right? Like like things that 
obviously had issues in the last year or two. Um, but then something like stable coins, I think a lot of people look and they're like, sure, I thought maybe that they would go after some of the coins or all of the coins or whatever, but stable coins never really seemed to be the thing that people pointed to and was like, I think regulators are gonna have a problem with that or they're gonna think this is you know, outside of uh, kind of the, the fence that they want this stuff in. Is that the same way you read it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think that the dynamic has changed a little bit now with this interest rate environment, right? Stable coins in a zero interest rate policy world isn't the most lucrative business, right? You're just, you know, kind of tokenizing some dollars, some short duration treasuries. Um, and, you know, you, there's the compliance costs and all this other stuff. Um, if you want to operate in the U.S., obviously there's the tethers of the world and, and, and whatnot. But uh, with, ra- with short end rates at 5%, I mean, having a multi-billion-dollar stablecoin is a profit puppy, right? Um, you know, Coinbase like just reported their revenue. I, I forget what the numbers were, but a lot of their revenue is just from their Circle program. They just they just have a bunch of cash. Uh, their users have cash on the platform. They don't pay them interest, and they just they just get that that short-term uh, interest rate. Um, you know, Tether now is is reporting like a bunch of profits because they have a ton of their their cash in, in liquid treasuries. Um, so from the regulation perspective, um, it's it's clear that. Uh, stable coins is a very lucrative business, and I think you know the next five, you know, this maybe this decade, you're going to see a lot of the legacy incumbent players want a piece of the pie, right? Like you see Circle teaming up with BlackRock, you know, uh, not only like are stable coins uh, a path to monetize treasuries for the U.S. government, right? Uh, it's a structural buyer of 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 U.S. debt, um, and that's a good thing. They want that, you know, they want more buyers. Like if you just look at the past. 30, 40 years, it's always the, the government's always trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be the buyer of our debt? And, you know, the Saudis, Russia, China, right? And, you know, and the Fed, <laughs> obviously. Um, and a lot of those sovereigns have kind of stepped back a little bit. Stable coins, like it's a $100 billion market today, it could very easily be a trillion dollar market tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but, you know, the next few years. Um, and so that's a big market opportunity, not only for like the US government and to find structural buyers of the debt, but also for the legacy players mm-hmm. who just get the tokenized dollars. Or you know, you know, stablecoin on a blockchain, and then get that interest expense. So I think there's there's kind of that regulatory pressure is partially because there is a lot of interest to capture this business, um, and it's a political game, right? It's a regulatory game. It's a political game, uh, and and the crypto uh, incumbents, despite you know being relatively in a much better place than they were, say in 2016, 2017, 2018, are you know still just kind of drops in the bucket compared to the the legacy titans. What is your take on uh, uh, Nostra, I guess how you pronounce it, yeah. uh, and Ordinals? <laughs> uh, yeah, Nostra is really cool. Um, I'm on Nostra. I don't post much, uh, but it's exciting, and it's it's growing unbelievably fast. I For mean, those I, that don't know, it is a decentralized uh, social site uh, that basically allows you to use public address um, and send messages uh, via kind of peer-to-peer relays, um, uh, very similar to Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's yeah, public private keys. Um, I think that the the basics of the protocol have existed for like two decades, um, but it was just you know just kind of this novel implementation of this technology. So kind of kind of similar to Bitcoin, like it, the technology existed for a while. It was just someone kind of like finally just like putting the pieces together and, and introducing it in a different way. Um, it's very exciting. It's like you know you can send lightning. Uh, you can like zap people's sats. Yeah, it would just like basically like you see Twitter is like implementing Twitter coins. I don't know if you saw that, no. um, but you know they probably are spending all this money to implement this like their own coin and this all this program. And meanwhile, we have this very very basic like if you look at the Noster or the the Damas um, app 
on on uh, the App Store. That's just like uh, an implementation of the Noster protocol. They built it on top. It's like a UX. Um, it's like five megabytes. It's tiny, right? Um, and so and you use like relays to do it. So it's not the most user friendly thing. Like like my mom's not going to sign up for Mo for Noster and and as easy as Twitter. Because if if I ask you right now, like, hey, what's your profile? Yeah. You basically are going to tell me a pub key. Yeah. Right. Um, Which. You probably, I'm assuming, don't have it memorized. No. And so, therefore, uh, it's not the same thing as like, hey, follow me on Twitter at whatever, yeah. right? And so, that's some of that has to be fixed. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work. It's just like uh, it has to get to the point where it's so user friendly that you can get even more mainstream adoption than people who are willing to kind of overlook the UI, UX stuff. Yeah. And like, I, you know, for the, for like three, I think two or three months, I saw Jack Dorsey posting about it and he was you know back when there was probably a couple hundred users he was on that I, I logged on created a thing um, and he's on there you know five hours a day and, and he's you know chucking Bitcoin at developers and and you know setting this stuff up in Africa and I'm like you know Jack's a pretty smart guy he's created two massive companies uh, founded to you know Twitter and Square um, very 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 early to Bitcoin and then that implementation with Square like this guy knows what he's doing um, why is he so obsessed with this thing. And I think it's because Jack, I mean, Jack was in the middle of the storm with Twitter, uh, with the political pressure, uh, and understands the reality of running a, you know, a public forum social media company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we don't even have to go into all the stuff that happened in 2020, 2021, the censorship. I mean, hell, I lost my, my back when verification was like a, uh, you know, kind of a credentialism thing. I was like official journalist for a media company. Bitcoin Magazine's a verified media company. I was, you know, a journalist posted some COVID wrong thing, I lost my verification. And they said, you know, you're, you're, I got an email, you're no longer notable. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was essentially like, it was, a, it was a warning shot. It was like, hey, like, and for me, like Twitter is like a, a pretty uh, important part of my career and what I do. And so it was like, all right, like, it was almost like I, I self-censored because mm -hmm. like, I don't want to get banned off this site. It's very integral to what I do. Um, and you saw a lot of people, like prominent, you know, scientists, whatever, that it got banned. So there's, there's problems with centralized social media. And I think the reason Jack's so obsessive with Noster, um, or not obsessive, but passionate, um, and funding all this development, um, is because the idea of a, you know, a decentralized identification system and social network is very, very powerful. Um, another kind of rabbit hole is like deep fakes and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Like Pomp, both of us and you, way more than myself, have hundreds, thousands of hours of of uh, live video out there for the internet. Um, I don't know if you've seen like the, the Joe Biden, Donald Trump kind of deep fakes where they're talking to each other and saying, saying funny stuff. I want someone to put me in the video game with uh, Biden, Trump, yeah. and like you can throw somebody else in there and just like two on two yeah. and uh, let us go at it. But like it's, it's funny, but it's also a little scary in the scary sense of shit. Like, I mean, this is relatively new technology. I mean, I guess they've been building it behind the scenes, but extrapolate it out, right? Just like the, the general trend of technology where it's going in five years from now. It's probably going to be trivial to fake a video of yourself saying something, and whatever it may be, right? It could be as malicious or, or you know, fun as, as you want to envision. Um, but how, what's, like, how do you verify what's real and not in a world where it's, it's at, it costs nothing mm -hmm. to create a fake of something, right? So, and so, and we've, we've, we're, we're already like, we're not screwed, but your, your 10,000 hours of content's already there, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you could try to scrub it all, but you can't, you can't scrub yeah. it. So, so the decentralized identification as a concept, as like, okay, this is a public-private key verification system for me and what I say and what I post, right? Like, I think that's not even just with Noster, but in general, you're gonna need something 
um, like that to to verify publicly in the future. And so I don't know what that world looks like, um, but you know that trend um, is really something that has caught my attention recently. What about ordinals? Are you a NFT maximalist now? I don't have any <laughs> NFT maximalist. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, it's a very it's the the surprising thing was that a lot of extremely smart uh, Bitcoin uh, technologists, developers, uh, you know, like Luke Dasher Jr., like creator of the SegWit implementation, you know, kind of solution to the block war uh, drama conflict in 2017. Um, and a lot of the guys that coded up Taproot didn't see this coming. Um, and, then, you know, some of them were even saying, like, you're you're cheating the code. Right. But I don't think that at all. I think it's a novel use of block space. Um, this is a free market. And if someone wants to pay up to put a JPEG or whatever on a blockchain, then uh, it's a public it's a public marketplace. Right. And so uh, a lot of people are saying this solves the fee problem. I never thought there was a fee problem to begin with. These uh, have been near all time lows right, for quite a while. Yeah. Well, I just think that, in, you know, the difficulty adjustment um, and, you know, the, the trend of Bitcoin usage and adoption, there's going to I mean, just the nature of the, the, the difficulty adjustment and mining incentives, there's going to be an equilibrium um, for fees in the future. If there's no fees to pay up, I mean, people will use Bitcoin to transact. I think that it's, it's valuable enough. It's, it's already won the censorship game um, and there's, there's nothing else immutable. Um, so people will, will pay to use Bitcoin. If there's not enough fees, miners will stop mining. You know, there's a, a, a queue of transactions will clog in the mempool. An equilibrium will be found. Um, now there's an additional driver for block space demand. Um, you know, that changes the equilibrium, but it doesn't really change the fundamental uh, kind of truth of Bitcoin as this, you know, uh, open public thing that anybody can utilize. Um, so I think it's cool. Um, you know, maybe I'll mint an inscription or ordinal. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are having fun with it. So what's interesting to me is both of those uh, seem to have brought a lot of attention to uh, to Bitcoin. Um, I think that there's this one impact of like there a whole new class of Bitcoiners showed up between yep. like 2020 and 2022. Right. I yep. think uh, some of the data was like uh, half of all Bitcoiners showed up in 2021. Right. And so they only knew really the economic conversation around Bitcoin. And now there's multiple examples with both of those and, and other things that are happening where people get like re-inspired and they're like, oh, this could be, you know, uh, um, kind of this really powerful technology. This could be used for a lot of different things. Um, and it's hard to measure what's going on there. But I think uh, Nostra has 700,000 uh, people have downloaded it now or something, 700,000 users. Wow. Like it's a big number, right? Whatever the 500K, a million, whatever it is, is a big number. Um, and then the ordinals I saw, there's tens of thousands, I think, that have been yeah. created at this point. And so like you look at that and you're like, I don't know very many companies that have brought that many people to use their products on Bitcoin like that in a long time. And yep. so it's pretty impressive to see, you know, what they've been able to do. Yeah, um, I think it's it's cool that you know there's there's a certain cohort of people in crypto broadly that that not like to hop from thing to thing, but like you know the crypto native class, it's like okay, you know we're gonna mint NFTs on ETH and then hop to Solana and then do this on DeFi and whatever, and and those people in in general for the longest time have been like, listen, Bitcoin's cool, it's the biggest thing, it's the most liquid thing, it you know uh, kind of takes the direction of the market either way, it's king, but it's boring as hell. Right. And like, mm -hmm. I'll say this as a Bitcoiner, like Bitcoin, um, I mean, not its exchange rate, or, but like if you're trying to report on what Bitcoin does every day, it's like, OK, well, you know, 900 Bitcoin were mined. We found a bunch <laughs> of blocks. Right. Like, you could write the article the day before. Like, yeah, you can, you can just copy paste it every day. It's like, well, Bitcoin's operating. Right. Like 
uh, and you know, I, there's an occasional soft fork that's exciting, but like fundamentally, this system is just does what it does, and it just continues. You end to up chug almost along. recovering Twitter yeah. conversation more than you do the actual blockchain. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it is interesting that there's kind of a technological debate to it, and a new class of of investors excited to utilize this thing. I think that's really exciting. Um, so it's still very nascent. Um, you know, I I'm not really like. I, I mean, certainly, like, could these things appreciate a whole bunch? Yeah, um, but you know, the the speculative art stuff that uh, doesn't interest me. Like, that's I think that does a disservice because um, it's a new novel thing. But like, you know, uh, I'm I'm not so much of like a a collector myself. Maybe that'll change. We'll see. <laughs> All right, I want to do rapid fire questions cool. to uh, to end it here. Uh, Bitcoin hash rate hits new all time high. Uh, in 2023, if there's a recession or hash rate goes down, yeah, hash rate just keeps chugging. I mean, it's at all time mm -hmm. highs right now, like 300 x a hash a second. Um, I think there's a bunch of ASICs on the sidelines, um, waiting. Like, you know, if, if price ticks up at all, you're gonna see uh, more more of that come online. I think this is a, there's a structural shortage of rack space uh, after all these mining blowups, Core Scientific, Celsius, all this. Um, you know, they're all miners. Um, and so this this stuff takes time, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly mining is the most brutal competitive business in the world, um, and and you have to be a top tier uh, operation to survive multiple cycles. China continues to be abrasive towards Bitcoin, or they reverse course, realize they made a mistake, and come back. Uh, I'm not uh, not a China expert, but I, I uh, you know communism and Bitcoin don't mix. Um, it's oil and water, uh, so I'd be surprised if Xi Jinping, uh, you know open arm embraced Bitcoin, but you know, who knows? New York, Nashville, Miami, Austin, San Francisco, or LA? Never been to San Fran, uh, been to LA once. Uh, pretty bullish on Nashville, bullish on Miami, bullish on New York. Uh, you know, I guess I'll just go with Nashville because that's where <laughs> BTC Inc. is from. Um, but uh, you know, gotta love the no tax jurisdictions too. So Miami, I'll, I'll give it a runner up there. Tank top or Hawaiian shirt? Both. <laughs> For those that are only listening, that's what he's wearing. Uh, would you rather take the vaccine or buy Ethereum? Oof. Uh, I would load up on ETH. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Where can we send people to find you um, on the internet? You can find me on Twitter uh, at DylanLeClaire underscore uh, DylanLeClaire.com. Uh, yeah. It's been a fun one. All right. I appreciate it very much. We'll definitely <laughs> do it, it again. Cheers.